Thank you, church. So good to see you. We're going to miss you much uh, when we're gone. Uh, we'll be uh, in six churches over six weeks from Adelaide, Melbourne, and Sydney, and we'll be doing 26 meetings over that time. So, um, so please pray for us. It's a tremendous privilege to be there, uh, but we couldn't go without you and without this team. And if you're new to this church, you'll know that this church is only built around one person, and that's not me. It's Jesus Christ who's the head of the church. And we have a team of uh, six leaders, six pastors or elders, and you'll be surprised at how well the church does without us. In fact, it normally does better when we're not here, and uh, I love that. Um, I love that because that's how it should be. Uh, We are a gathering, healing, training church, and although we have a community in Nanaimo, we have uh, influenced this church. If you get to know us, come to looking in uh, all over the nations. We have about six or seven churches in Nepal that we'll be sending a team to. Northern India, about the same. Uh, Australia, these churches look to us. Uh, and through North America, it's just amazing how God likes to use the foolish to confound the wise. And one of the things we do too, and I'll tell you this, we never ever advertise or ask to go to a church. It's by invitation only, and uh, we've been to Australia a number of years. God has given us tremendous favor there, and I think it's because they like Canadians, eh? (laughs) They think I sound Canadian there, so that's cool. And I wear a Canadian flag and so on my lapel, but... um, God has given us tremendous favor. We've been going there for about four years, and every time we go, uh, when we get back, not knowing whether we'll be invited back, there are more churches that ask us. So next Sunday, we'll be uh, next week in ministering in Adelaide, doing uh, some training with leaders on Friday and Saturday, and preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. So we arrive on Thursday, and by Monday, we would have done five meetings already. So please pray for us. And I'm not saying it because to feel sorry for ourselves. I'm saying it because we need your prayer and we need your help. Amen. So last week we looked at, um, let me put it this up. There we are. Last week we looked at, uh, it was Resurrection Sunday. And as usual, my notes went out the window. And we ended up uh, ministering, I ended up ministering on Philippians chapter 2. That amazing uh, passage where, where Jesus uh, lays down his life for us and God exalts him uh, to the highest place. An amazing passage of Scripture. And I've been thinking about it a lot. And in fact, one verse in there especially, and as I said, if we could live out Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11, if that's all we did this year, I think we would change the city and change the world. Uh, there's so much in it. And, uh, but he says here in uh, uh, Philippians 2.3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And um, there might be a disconnect between what's up there in the NIV and what I have because the new NIV Bible, uh, I wouldn't buy one. If you're looking for a Bible, rather go for ESV. But my NIV is a 1974 version. So uh, it's, uh, it's the one that I use. But uh, just uh, as a matter of interest, uh, there have been changes in the new NIV that maybe aren't as helpful to me anyway. And so if you're looking for a Bible, the English Standard Version is the one I'd, I would use now. And that, would, that makes Mark's heart very glow glad. Um, so I was thinking of a humility, and um, I was thinking of when last I actually ever heard a sermon actually preached on humility. And, uh, but the fact that humility is absolutely key, because Jesus himself said this about humility, is that humility is the gateway to the kingdom. And uh, I think all of us, myself included, uh, could, could do with more humility, especially the church universal. I'm part of the church, 
but the church needs to make some adjustments. And because we're part of the church, we can be part of the solution, I pray. And we see Jesus say this in Matthew 18, verse 1 to 4. The disciples come to him and ask him this question. They're looking at each other, all 12 of them, and uh, weighing each other, sizing each other up. And he, they ask him this question, this dumb question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? They weren't thinking of Jesus. They were thinking of themselves. And he called a little child to him and placed the uh, child amongst them and said this, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like, a little, ch- like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, anyone who humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The entry point and the gateway. Jesus said in Matthew 16, just before this, he says when Peter has a revelation, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says that uh, he has that revelation and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but God revealed it to you by his spirit. And then he says, whatever you bind in heaven will be bound in earth and whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. Loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, whichever way around that is. But he says, and I will give you keys. Keys unlock doors. Often we're trying to push a door open that God has shut, and, he, and we're doing with all our strength, and he says, I've got a key. Key is not proportionate to a door. How many of you know that? You don't have a key this big to open that door. It's little keys. And one of the keys and the entrance point to the kingdom Jesus says, it's humility. And I've got a quote here I found. It's no great thing to be humble when you're brought low, but to be humble when you're praised is a great and rare achievement. I think that was Andrew Murray. A few questions I want to ask today, speaking on humility. And the first one, this is us thinking about it. It says, how do we define humility? And I thought, let's look at what it is not before we look at what true biblical humility is. You see, humility is not weakness. Humility is not about groveling, beating ourselves up, or thinking that we have no value. And that's what the the world has, in a sense, made humility to look like. But I felt a good definition of humility is simply this, a sober estimation of ourselves. In Philippians 2, 3 to 4, in that same passage that I've just read, Jesus says, uh, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. We just read that. Each one of you should not only look after your own interests, but also the interests of others. You see, humble people don't think less of themselves. They simply think of themselves less. I found that too, an amazing quote. See, humility is the acknowledgement that outside of Jesus, can I just get something that's a bit higher than this? I seem to, maybe it's to keep me humble, get the worst music stand in the place. Thank you. And please don't change it because it keeps me humble. Thanks. There we are. You see, humility is the acknowledgement that outside of Jesus working in in and through our lives, we are totally inadequate. Remember, outside of Jesus. Many of us as Christians who have Jesus still feel that we're inadequate. And that's not what the Bible says. See, Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, on, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He says, when you join with me, and I with you, the relationship is intimate and organic, and the harvest is sure to be abundant. This is from the message. But separated from me, 
you cannot do a thing. And we live in the place where I can't do anything. I'm just a worm. I'm just humble of me. That is a false humility, and that is the humility of hell. But if we look at what we can do, because Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, that we can do all things. How? Through and in Christ that gives us strength. In our own, we observe that we cannot. But in Christ, we can do all things. And that should create such a space of freedom for us. I'm extremely intimidated even on these trips. Been preparing for this for a long time, and we'll be ministering in Adelaide, um, Melbourne, and Sydney, some amazing cities just under the shadow of Hillsong. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, it's pretty intimidating. Intimidated if I look at it in myself. But I need to understand that it's Christ in me. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Amen? And he writes this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is also from the message. Paul writing that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's why we did the series on the Holy Spirit, because we, Jesus said, once we are born again, we have the indwelling Spirit, we will receive power in Acts 1, from 1, uh, uh, 1.8, power to enable us to witness, the power of God. And that's why we're doing a teaching now in the Bible school on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is like having a toolbox. And if you have a toolbox like mine, it's a disaster. I'm not a very practical person. And uh, my son, who built, has built houses and, and is a project manager, was back with me a while ago and helped me put on a, from Edmonton put on a screen door to the house. And he said, have you got any tools? And I brought my box. He actually killed himself laughing. He couldn't believe that's all I had. I had a hacksaw blade. I had a handsaw, a hammer which was wooden and whatever. So he says, hey, I'm going to call Kim's dad. And we went to Ralph's house and we got his tools and so on. But that's what the gifts of the Spirit are. They're tools that God wants to give us for when we need them. Now, there are many gifts, and some of us may have a primary gift, but at any time, we can ask God, when we're speaking to somebody, for a gift of knowledge. God, what is going on in the life of this person? Lord, how can I help them? Holy Spirit, empower me from on high so I can be a witness to this person. We can have a gift of faith, a gift of healing. The God says He gives us these tools, and they're here to empower us Not in our own strength, in our own ability, but in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change the world. And we see that 120 people, or in fact 12 scared guys full of the power, adding um, Paul, changed the known world upside down. How much more could we do if we truly believed that what God said was truly true? What couldn't we do? You see, if you're focusing at yourself and, oh, little old me, then you will never do anything. But if you focus, you fix your eyes on Him, because He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we run this race with perseverance looking at Him, we can do all things. We can lay our hands on the sick. We can see nations change. This is a dark world. God and the world is waiting for a people to say, will you truly believe me? He can turn this around in an instant, and he wants to do that. But he's looking for people that will walk in humility and give him the glory, because too often the church takes the glory to itself. You see, the biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness is not some superstar preachers. I've said this before, but it's the realization and the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers, 
that all of us are co-heirs with Christ, all of us have power, and all of us have authority, that this time here is an equipping time, an encouraging time, an empowering time, not so that you can come next week and, and watch the next show, but so that you can make a difference in the world, using the, carrying your toolbox of spiritual gifts, full of the power of the Spirit, in humility, laying your hands and praying for people, and we'll see people's lives change in an instant. The world is waiting. The world is needing. They don't know what they're waiting for, but I tell you what they, they may know what they know what they want, but what they need is Jesus Christ. And Christ in us is the hope of glory. Church, it's time for us to arise. This is the kind of message that I'll preach in Australia. I want to stir the churches. This is a message that will be taken to India and Nepal later. Johannes going to Africa and he's going to be um, connecting with churches there. This is the message that we, we want to bring, that it's time for the church to arise, not in the pride, but in humility, understanding who they are in Christ. And this is what he says. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That is to prevent any from confusing God's incomparable power with us. Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you'll know him better and that you'll know of the incomparably great power that is for us who believe. It's for us. God is looking for believing believers. Will we believe what we say we believe? Will we walk it out? Will we be prepared to be humbled when we talk to somebody and they shout at us, or spit at us, or we pray and nobody's healed? Oh, I can't do that. I'll look a fool. Well, let's maybe be a fool for Jesus. Smith Wigglesworth raised over 20 people from the dead. An illiterate plumber from Yorkshire. Go and read about him. Full of the power. And he said this. People, they said, Smith, how do you uh, have faith to believe for raising the dead? Well, he says, I practice it. So where do you go? He says, I go to the mortuary. And I lay hands on people there. And do you know what? If they don't get raised from the dead, they don't complain anyway. <laughs> so go to the mortuary. Stop practicing. <laughs> if you're scared of a live person, try a dead one. You see... The second question I want to ask is, why is this such a big deal? These are two things. What is humility and why is it such a big deal? You see, in the world, we know the famous Saint Ar uh, Frank St. Astro, Ar Saint Ar what's this? Frank, the singer. Frank's in a, yeah. Do, Dr. Mark, Francis of Assisi. He hasn't got the word of knowledge or the sermon. I did it my way. That was the theme of our parents' generation. Be a man. Do it your way, in your own strength. But you know what? That's a lie from the pit of hell. We need God. Amen. And the moment we think it's about us, we step back. And you see, humility is a big deal because it creates an atmosphere where unity thrives. That's why it is a big deal. It creates a, an atmosphere. Go and read that. Uh, Philippians 1, in fact, we'll, uh, 2, we'll read it at the end, where unity thrives. Because where there's unity, the Bible says, God 
commands his blessing. And this is what God wrote under the anointing of David. And scholars will say, there's a few reasons, but the scholars that I believe will say this, that this is the time where the Israel and Judah were coming together under David's kingship. And they're going to celebrate this. One nation. They were split uh, apart by a civil war under Saul for almost 40 years. It comes together, and this is God, the Father, I believe, speaking to God the Son and the God the Holy Spirit. This is a conversation, I believe, that God is having with God. And this is what they, he says, God the Father. Behold how good and pleasant it is when the brethren or God's people live together in unity. What father doesn't want to a home or a house in unity? What father wants to live in strife? And he says this. It's like the precious oil, the oil, the anointing, the Holy Spirit, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, Aaron, the high priest. We are the priesthood of all believers. It's like the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming down, running down us, running down the collar of our robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon, one of the driest places in Israel, was falling on Mount Zion, one of the driest spots in Israel. And those little desert plants are fed by the dew in the morning. Those little droplets that are on there. You say, how can it veg? It hasn't rained here for so long. It's the dew that, that brings life. It feeds the plants. For there God bestows, and I love the King James in this, for there God commands his blessing, even life forevermore. We're asking God to bless us. We're asking God to use us. We're asking God to do everything for us. Let's walk in humility and in unity and let's see what God does. Because I tell you something, when God commands something, no demon in hell can stand in his way. Lucifer thought he was a big deal. Pride the first sin. Pride the first sin. The fall of Adam, pride. It's a big deal. When Lucifer sinned, it says he fell like lightning. God simply said, out of my presence. When God commands his blessing, we don't have to worry and focus on the devil. We need to focus on God. Let God bring his blessing. But there's a prerequisite. You see, it's also important because it's a prerequisite to revival. And we're going to see this in Second Chronicles. Church, we want, this nation needs God. This city has less than 4% church-going people. Some cities are more than that. It needs God. And as long as we're focusing on them and judging them and saying, well, it's their fault, we will never see what God wants to do, because this is what God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 to 15. And this is what he promises if we do these things. And he says, if my people who are called by my name, he's not talking about those people. Well, they, useless, they deserve this. I'm saved. I bought a fire insurance policy. I'm going to heaven. God loves you. The guy says, so what? And we say, well, go to hell. Maybe not figuratively, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. But the thing is this, if my people who are called by my name, that is us, that is the church of the living God, will do these things, and there's only four things, will humble themselves, will begin to pray, and we'll begin to seek the face of God. And if we turn, if we deal with sin and unrighteousness, 
Once again, the reason why in the church people are scared to deal with sin, remember God has forgiven you. If you've confessed your sin and you've repented, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But people are scared to come and tell a brother, I need help. This pornography course we want to do is to set people free. We put it up last week. We said, please email in. Not one person emailed in. Does that mean there's nobody dealing with it in this body? No, what it means is they're afraid that they might be judged by the body. We have to create a safe place because I tell you, when you're looking at that speck in their eye, is a big one because the greatest sin in the Bible is the sin of pride. The sin of pride is the gateway to hell. Humility is the gateway to heaven. And so we need to create an atmosphere where people can come and say, I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Oh, jeez. Glad that's on me. That's who we need to do it. If we cannot do it here, if my people, God says, cannot do it, how the heck are they going to reach those people? This needs to be a safe place, church. This needs to be a safe place. If you're going to speak about somebody, do it under the fear of God and rather not. We want people to be able to come and say, I'm struggling, my marriage is in a mess. I've got addiction, whatever it is. Can you help? Oh, jeez. I'm so glad that's not me. Pride comes before the fall. We humble ourselves and say, man, thank you for the privilege that you would actually trust me to come and ask me for help. What an honor that is. What an honor that should be, that somebody would actually trust you. A few years ago, we had a man, a businessman in the city who's now moved on. And I want to tell you a story a little bit because it it was amazing. He started coming to our church in his late 40s and he looked like a bit of a shady guy. But as I got to know him, uh, uh, and he came and came. And one day he said, can I have coffee with you? So I said, sure. We went to the Starbucks by Country Club. We sat there outside. And he said, listen, I just want to tell you, not that it matters anything, that I'm a very wealthy person. I can buy anything I want. But my life is an absolute mess. I'm addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. I'm addicted to everything. I'm addicted to wealth. I'm addicted Can you help me? I tell you, I was undone. The fact that he felt he could ask me that. And he's told this testimony, this is years ago now. I tell you, and he got, it was about an 18-month process of coffees, talking it through. Got incredibly transformed. God restored his life. God restored, uh, uh, brought a, uh, uh, he, he got married again. Got back on his feet. And to this day, still serving God. I had a choice that day. Oh, jeez. Or coming to the prayer meeting. Hey, guys, I had coffee with Joe. Can we pray for him? Because he's got this, 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 and this. That's absolute gossip. I'm horrified that people will... Even say, hey, Joe is into this. Can we pray for him? Oh, I didn't know that. Nobody knew that. You wonder why Joe will never come back. Church, we need to be walking in humility ourselves, lest we fall. Amen? He says, when we do those things, those four things, he says, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will heal. If we want to see this nation change, I wasn't born in this nation, born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa. 
But we have been incredible benefactors of the grace of this nation. It opens its doors. We're Canadian citizens. My wife, through getting a parasite on mission trips, has had two transplants because the mission, because a parasite ate her, her liver. Paid for by this government. This is an amazing place. Surely we want to see revival in our nation. Let's stop looking at what the politicians are doing. Let's stop looking at what the world is doing. Let's start to say, God, I'm going to humble myself and pray. I want to see this nation transformed. God says, can a nation be transformed in a day? And obviously to him, of course it can. Of course it can. We want to see that across the nations. You see, the third and most important one for me at this stage is humility releases the grace of God upon our lives. 1 Peter 5. And I'm going to be doing in in Australia a journey from Peter, the bold and impetuous Peter, to 1 Peter 5 Peter. And the journey from Paul the murderer to Paul, one of the greatest men ever to work this earth, not in his own strength. And hopefully when I get back, we can do that here. But Peter writes this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes or resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, we have enough opposition from the enemy. When we're saved, we've got a big target on our back. But when God is resisting us, and we're praying, and he says, speak to the hand. Deal with it. Speak to the Why isn't God answering my prayers? Speak to the hand. Oh, God, I need you. Yes, my boy, I'm listening. How can I help you? I want to pour out my grace upon you. My son died for you. He set you free. You're a new creation. You see, pride, obviously the opposite of humility, is simply, for want of a better word, a self-centered disposition. A disposition that really consults God, except in crisis. That seeks the hand of God more than the face of God. That is easy offended. I've got a little bracket here that says island in my notes. So this guy's stuck on this island. And he's there for about five years. You know the story. And Eventually, he's trying to make smoke signals and get playing. Eventually, the ship's coming by and sees the smoke and comes there. And the captain rows ashore with a few guys. And this guy runs. He says, man, he says, I'm so happy you're here, man. I've been here for five years all on my own. I tell you, I've, ships have gone by. And the guy's talking. As the guy's talking, he sees two uh, shacks behind him. You know the tropical shacks? Two behind him. So he says to the guy, listen, there's only one of you. He sees three shacks, sorry. There's only one of you. Why are there three shacks there? He says, well, one's my home and one's my church. And he says, what's the other one? He says, no, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) Easily offended. God does move people on. In our journey. And we stand here with the open hand. If God moves you to another church, we will bless you. We might be sad, but we will bless you. But God mes- uh, moves people on. But let it be God. And if it's an offense, go back, humble yourselves, and say, you know, sorry. I'm sorry I got offended by that. Don't blame them. I'm sorry because it's your fault that I'm offended. So I'm leaving you. Oh, that's cool. I've dealt. No, hey. I just want to leave here well. 
anything that you see in my life. If they trust you, no problem. But deal with it. Because that's pride. Well, I deserve better than that. And you see, Jesus tells us that the worst kind of pride is actually spiritual pride. It's actually in the house. Where we become unteachable, judgmental, and unforgiving. This should be a safe house. And the teachers of the law, in Matthew 23, Jesus talking of the Pharisees. Verse 1 to 4, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, he says. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. That's cool. Hey, Pharisees are talking, we must listen to them. But do not do what they do. They do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves will do nothing to lift a finger to help them. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. But like many things in the kingdom, humility is a choice. And when we're called to humble ourselves... And when we do so, the benefits are huge, church. But there's a cost. Because it takes courage not to be self-centered. It takes courage not to react when people trash you. It takes courage. It takes courage to say, God, I want to represent you well. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God, that's what I want to be like. Lord, these offenses I have, Lord, help me with them. Help me let go of my past. Some people's rearview mirror is bigger than their windshield in their life. I'm never going to trust again. I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that because, 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 because. Well, what about all the stuff that you've done to others? God's got the looking. So, okay, I understand. That was terrible stuff. But let's talk about you. Oh, no. No, God. Forgive me and help me to forgive others. Forgive me, Lord God. I want to be set. May my mistakes become stepping stones to a future where I can help others not make the same mistakes. That's the best thing that we can do. Say, yeah, I haven't had a, a good marriage. I haven't had a this and that. But I can show you and I can tell you the way because I know the wrong way. We can use what we have in humility. We can tell our story, not just the good parts, but our story because people say, wow, I'm like that. And God helped you so he can help me. You see, it takes courage to give ourselves to others again and again, especially when people let us down and they say all manner of things about us. Go and read the Beatitudes. It takes courage to trust again and to trust again and to trust again. But God does that with us. It takes courage to love, honor, and serve unconditionally often without much recognition. I've said this and I'll say this again. These chairs do not come out because somebody fasted and prayed the whole week. This is not working. The Sunday school is not there because people are wa- walking on water. This happens is because people lay down their lives and serve. And I don't think they get enough accolades. And there's never enough servants. But I tell you, it's like hockey, which I've stopped watching for a while. (laughs) How many of you would know the name of the Zamboni driver ever? 
How many of you would know his name if he didn't rock up and the ice was water? Or if you went to GM Place and the toilets were overflowing? Or the cameraman didn't show up? You see, it's the superstars on the ice, but without the others. And this is the thing. God says the leaders will be judged more than others. One of the reasons is because for some reason we get more accolades than the people that made the coffee, set up the chairs, came at seven to practice worship, uh, sit in the sound booth, are down there. We get more accolades. But without them, and if you understand without you, we will never fulfill our full call and destiny. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Christianity is everybody on the ice. And when the Canucks suck, we all suck together. Amen? You see, Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life for you and I. And Philippians 2, 1 to 11, and I'm not going to read it because uh, for time, but I ask you, I ask you, please, those 11 verses, meditate on those until they become a reality in your heart. You see, in that passage, we find some amazing spiritual principles where Jesus humbles himself and becomes obedient to death and Christ exalts him and God exalts him to the highest place. And we see in that that honor becomes before humility. Uh, uh, honor comes before honor comes humility. Before honor comes humility. When we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. That the cross comes before the crown. And the person who seeks honor will ultimately be humiliated by God. But the person who seeks humility will be honored Maybe not in this life, but certainly in the life to come. And Jesus says this in the Matthew 23. We, we, read, we read the first part about this, the Pharisees. And in the end, he says this. The greatest amongst you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves. You see, humility is a choice will be exalted. Now, I can't preach this message without many, many fingers pointing at myself. Times where I, I have not walked in humility. Times where I have not represented God. But there's a tale of two kings. One is Saul. One David. And in Acts 13, Paul speaking the story of David says that God said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I tell you, wouldn't we like to be people after the heart of God? People. Was David perfect? He messed up badly. And I want to tell you about these two kings. You can read their story in Samuel. That's the, the book I want to focus on in this story. First and second Samuel. But we read the story of Saul, who sinned, but I don't believe sinned as bad as David. Go and read the story. I'm going to show you where it is. Read the book. He sinned. Samuel comes to him and says, Saul, why did you sacrifice without me? And he blames Samuel for being late. He blames the bleating sheep. He blames everybody but himself. And God, say, and Sam, God says to Samuel, I'm taking the kingdom away from him and giving it to another. 
Now that was, I've done that. I've blamed everybody but myself. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Arranges the death of her husband. Has the baby, the baby dies. Bathsheba has a second baby and he is the heir to David's throne, Solomon. That's the grace of God. But I want to tell you something about David. Where God flowed grace to him like he cannot believe. He's murdered somebody. He's lied. He should have been at war with his, with his, with his troops, leading his troops, yet he stays at home. Bathsheba's taking a bath on the rooftop, the big palace. He's looking down, and he says, I want her, and he gets her. She falls pregnant. Arranges for the murder of her husband. Nathan goes to him, the prophet, in fear, I bet you, because he could have lost his head, and he confronts him about his sin. And I want to read to you David's response. And this is why David is the man after his own heart. And it's Psalm 51. It's the psalm of repentance of David after sinning against Bathsheba. And I'm going to read a little bit of this. He starts at saying, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And against you, and you only have I sinned. God, I'm taking responsibility for what I did. God, help me. He goes on to verse 10. Read it, Psalm 51. If you've got some repenting to do about pride and stuff, I want you to go and read this. I want you to pray over this. It's something that I, I do. And it goes on to say this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then he says this, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth and I will declare your praises. We're going to worship God now so the worship team can come forward. He then goes on to say this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. David could have sacrificed anything, but he knew that's not what God wanted. You do not delight in burnt offerings. You do not, in other words, God, you don't delight in religious ritual. You don't want me just to go through the motions. Ah, oh, I sinned, all of that. Okay, there's a thousand bulls. Slaughter them. God will be cool. The sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O oh Lord, this you will not despise. Now God is in the God of restoration. And there are people sitting here with a call on their lives they may have shipwrecked it for some whatever reason along the way that God wants to restore because He needs you. He needs you. He needs you to acknowledge, admit, humble yourself. But what He wants to do today, even as we worship, is not to walk out of God's presence, but to walk into it and say, God, I need your mercy. I need your grace. Create in me. A pure heart, Lord. God, help me through this. And do you know what he wants to do? He just wants to shower his grace upon you. It's my grace, my grace. My son, it is finished. It's a new day. Church, if we get this, we'll change the world. 
Can we stand and just worship the Lord for a while? And I'm going to pray over you. You go for whatever you feel. If you could bow our heads for just one moment. Please close your eyes and bow your heads. I just, uh, if you need to go, God bless you. I know many have jobs and things to go to. But if you could just focus, just bow your heads and focus on, fix your spiritual eyes on Jesus for a moment. Many are weary in this place. God wants to restore that first love. Many are feeling guilty and God says, I want to wipe away your guilt and your shame. And to all of us, God wants to shower His grace upon us. So ask your Holy Spirit, even as we worship, to help us make the adjustments we need to make. Lord, you, were, you say in Psalm 103 that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. And that you choose to remember our sins no more. And so, Lord God, thank you for Jesus, because in Him is forgiveness. And we lay our lives down afresh, Lord. And we want to say to you, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come in my life, in this church. And your will be done in the city and in the nations around us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit.